and dear fellow redeemer. We consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. And as we begin, we hear this. And our minds typically go one of two places. Either the yes, yes, of course. Of course I love you more than anything, everyone, and any event that would come my way. The other option typically is, yes I do, but hopefully that doesn't happen. And sometimes there is a third, especially when, when the Christian has tried to practice their Christianity and has a, has a decent grasp on what we believe, if not necessarily the why, but they certainly know the what. And they have experienced some of what Jesus says here. The Christian might say, well, yeah, I've tried to speak to my uncle, my aunt, my grandfather, grandchild, my son or daughter, and let's just say it didn't go very well. Those are, I suppose, the three reactions that we get. Because we think of this primarily as, as Jesus talking specifically about the relationships that we have with other people and how a holding firmly to what he says will necessarily bring strife with other people. And not because Jesus himself, at least at the surface, not just because Jesus himself is the one who brings strife, but the one who brings strife within the Christian church is always, ever, always will be the one who denies what the clear words of Scripture say. And so all that is kind of circulating around. Jesus says that he has not come to bring peace but a sword. I did not come to, I came to turn a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he does say that he's not come to bring peace but a sword. And so we have those three reactions. Yes, Lord, anything it takes. Anything it takes, but hopefully not today. Or I know exactly what you're talking about, Jesus. And now I'm at a loss for words. But there's a little bit more here. Because all of our readings today talk about loving Jesus above all. And that's really the point in Matthew chapter 10. That Jesus talks about loving him above all. And by comparison, by comparison, seeing those whom we love most in this world and seeing them as people that we do not love as much as our Lord. That we see even the closest of relationships that we have in this world between um, a spouse and his or her husband or wife, between a parent and child, the closest of ties within a family. And when Jesus says this, the main idea that he's getting at is to love him even more than those. That the, the, the greatest depth of knowledge that we have about love, the one thing that we know about love is that it is this tight, beautiful bond among people. And so he points at the closest of human bonds and says, Dear Christian, love me more than these. And so we understand, Yes, Lord, if that day comes, I am ready. If that day comes, I'll be ready, but 
please, I'd rather not. Or, that day has come, and I don't know where to go now. In this sermon series over the next few weeks, we'll talk about um, a couple of different topics that relate to what Jesus talks about, especially in our gospel lesson. In a series of letters, kind of like this retro postcard that you may have gotten in your, mail, in your mailbox um, or is printed on the front cover. And today, talking about getting a, a letter, a postcard from Success Island. Because we understand what Jesus is saying about loving him above all and loving him more than those that we love in this life. We love him and we understand what he's saying about loving him more than life itself, that if the day should come that you will be thrown in the Colosseum, well then praise be to God. But for the most part, there are other creeping loves that, that look good and creep in around the side. And while it's easy to see the strife within a family, and while it's easy to see the division between those who hold to the truth and those who have deserted the truth, it's much more challenging and perhaps difficult to see the way in which good things, blessings, are twisted and tilted into a love that is more than Christ himself. Not that it looks like that, but that we consider that in the light of where does our energy go, where, does, where do our minds go, where do our minds wander when we sit and think and daydream. Where does the majority of our time is spent? How do we carry out this worship? Because that's what it is. We understand that, that you and I each have a limited period of time in this, in this world. And even if you were to have some huge financial disaster, well, God be praised that he would grant you time and a structure in a community to provide for you and the ability to make enough money to provide for yourself. But once that minute, our year is gone, you can't get it back. And even the, the most wealthy of people in this world, they would pursue different ways in which they can get some of that time back, but they can't. And so when we, when we talk about loving something more than Jesus, it's really a question of where does our, our attention go, where does our energy go, where does our time go, where does our focus go. And I think this postcard from Success Island might be helpful. Because who doesn't want to be successful? The thing about Success Island is that you can define success however you want. And different communities and different, different um, social groups will define success in different ways. Somebody who has grown up um, putting in a daily work at the mill or at the factory will have his or her, her own idea of success. That I thank God that I'm not like that person who is so fake and who spends all their time and all of their money on all these things when I've got real friends here who care about me. The person who has gone through school might view, might view success in a different way. Well, maybe I'll, I'll be successful when I finally get that job, get the promotion, get the office that I want, or pay off the student loans. That's what success will look like. Perhaps success 
Success is having the, the happy family and the picture that you can share, the picture that goes up on the mantle, and at least you have that picture, even if the daily life doesn't exactly look like that. Might it be true that among all the other tiny little gods that would try to creep in around the edges and displace Jesus ever so slightly, that there's nothing quite like the mirage of success? We think of that mirage of success every year right around this time as graduations take place and, and children who are graduating from their 12th year of schooling are deciding on what they ought to do next and where their next career path ought to take them. We think of that mirage of success as we look back, perhaps on a career, perhaps on the last few years and wondering, how is my industry going to change if a worldwide pandemic comes again. We think about that question of success and uh, the Barna Group recently did a study on this and it's fascinating and fantastic and I'm gonna save it for like two more weeks. But the short answer is that young people today, in a way that is far and away different from when you were a young person, that young people today have one metric for success. And it's not the, the spouse and the two kids and the two-car garage. It's the paycheck. In a way that, that is totally different from probably the, the, the life that you grew up knowing and the, um, even the values that you sacrificed for and held most dearly. Don't want to steal all my thunder from a few weeks from now. But I think that's the natural outcome. And we see these things, and we know that these things are a blessing from God, that God is the one who provides food and clothing, house and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all that I own. And we see even as, as Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, that he says these things are gifts from God, that God is the one who enables each of us to, to carry out our daily tasks, who gives us the time and the health and the wisdom and the insight to be able to provide for our daily needs. And above that, to provide for the needs of a family or the needs of a church and the needs of a congregation, the needs of a community. But the trick of the devil isn't so much to substitute Jesus blatantly as if to say, well, push him aside and now worship this. The trick of the devil is to say, oh, but this is good. This is a good thing. You want your children to grow up um, successful. You want to have a, a career that is successful. You want to be able to sit back and have a life that is at peace and at ease. And who in the world would want to have to worry each day and scrabble in order to get by? Success. Is there any God quite like it? It makes for the perfect idol. It is infinitely malleable. That is to say, it can be shaped to whatever you need at the time. If you're in a blue-collar community, then maybe success means that you don't turn out like that jerk of a manager who oversees the whole operation. If it's a white-collar community, the metric for success might be different. And depending on whatever success you have experienced, or debt you've taken on, or outcome you're at, that idol of success can be reshaped to say, well, I can still be successful, infinitely malleable, 
and endlessly rewarding. Because who of us would raise our hand and say, yep, <laughs> totally not successful at all, a failure at everything that I do. And surely, surely that means that I have something wrong with me. Nobody would say that. But this idea of success, infinitely malleable, it is endlessly rewarding. And it's always making promises. Well, if you're not quite there, still live in the future. Sure, put in the time now, put in the effort now, but think after you have, then you'll have the reward. Then you'll have your success and you'll finally, finally attain it. The idol of success, infinitely malleable, endlessly rewarding, promising victory, assuring me of my com competence. See, I'm good enough. I've measured up. Nothing to see here, nothing to worry about. And most of all, I have the freedom to do what I want. That's the bottom line. That's the, the bottom line of the Barna study that we'll talk about in a few weeks. That's the bottom line and the promise that this idol of success promises. Success isn't a bad thing. God be praised. And thank God for the success that he has granted you in whatever shape that takes. Whether it is carrying out a career in a hard-working day job, or making some sort of other advancement, or simply doing your time with a local small business or a multinational corporation. It doesn't matter. What matters is how much success gets in the way of Jesus. What matters is that we don't let success get in the way of Jesus, because Jesus says, don't be surprised, I've come to bring a sword. I haven't come to bring peace. And it sounds almost shocking, and he does so purposefully. He, he says these things in order to catch our attention, to grab us by the shoulders ever so slightly, and say, dear Christian, wake up. Even though, even though the angels were singing, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace. That he has come to bring division, not just, not just within the closest of family bonds that we know in this world, but within the desires of the human heart. That's what he's getting at. Within the desires of the human heart that says, I want at least some semblance of, of recognition. I want to be at least recognized that I have done my part, that I'm a decent guy, and that maybe it was more challenging than others, but I did the best that I could. Success. And none of us wants to say, you know, my children is an abject failure in every way. But what does Jesus say? Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That was a uh, conference I went to in November of 2018. And, um, and one of the pastors got up and he's you know, talking about whatever topic he was talking about. I just saved the quote. I didn't save the topic. It was good at the time. But he got up and he starts out by saying, I pray that the children in my congregation are terrible at sports. 
how much more that he was getting at. I pray that my children and that the families of my congregation don't see success as the idol that will give them whatever they need and they desire. I pray that my children and my congregation, that every person from newborn to retired will be able to say, I love Jesus above all. And even when it is difficult for me, even when there is a push and a pull, a tug and a push within my own heart, I know that Jesus and his words are true. I know that Jesus and his words are true, and so it means that even if I should lose my life for him, I've got my life and I will never lose it. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Verse 39. And whoever loses his life will find it. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever graduates summa cum laude and goes on with a full ride scholarship and then is hired by one of the Fortune 500 or Fortune 10, one of the top companies in the world, whoever finds his life will watch out. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Graduates bottom of the class and, um, and on the second or third round of hiring, he or she was finally hired on because the competence just wasn't there, but they put in good work. Success. Infinitely malleable, endlessly rewarding, promising victory, assuring of competence. The bottom line that says, I have the freedom to do what I want. And Jesus says, dear Christian, obviously, I mean, number one, when he says that I've come to bring a sword, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword even to your own heart that you don't have the freedom to do whatever you want and whatever your heart desires. But that is only because you have a Savior who willingly chose to not do whatever he wanted. That is only because you have a Savior who, um, who has all heavenly gifts, who has the adoration of the angels, you know, the ones before whom um, every time an angel shows up, the people go, no, don't kill me, um, <laughs> I don't want to die. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands more singing Jesus' praise, and they hide their faces. That Jesus is the one who considered success not just receiving the adoration of the angels and condemning an entire world to hell, but that Jesus is the one who considered success being born as a helpless human. That Jesus is the one whose parents perhaps had high hopes. Hey, maybe if we send him to a good trade school, his father is a fantastic tradesman. Maybe if we send him to, um, to West Point, he could be a military leader. And how did it turn out? Maybe he did graduate from trade school. I don't know. His mother was there on his, um, not his graduation day, but his coronation day. When he was crowned with thorns. That was success in God's eyes. That this Jesus took your sin and mine upon himself. To say, dear Christian, you don't have to run after all these things. You don't have to turn a good blessing from God into a curse. You don't have to turn a good desire and a good um, hope 
for your children, for yourself, for your family. You don't have to turn those things into all that you have to invest in all that you want to attain right now because you have everything. You have the righteousness of Jesus and that is yours. As sure and certain as the water off the head or the taste on the tongue, you have the righteousness of Jesus, God himself, who considered it most successful to lay down his life for you. And if it were only for you, then he would still consider it the apex, the height of his success. And his success continues today, still hidden under a cross, still hidden from human sight, so that he can be near you, giving you his success, his victory again, his resurrection from the tomb, made yours in holy baptism, his righteousness won for you, that same declaration, my child, dear son, dear daughter, this is yours. There's nothing left to chase. There's nothing left to work for. You have everything. You have Christ's righteousness as your own. You see how Jesus is different? He's not malleable like the idea of success. He doesn't bend his ideas and his words in order to accommodate pithy human desires. He is endlessly rewarding, but not yet. He promises eternity, but we're not there yet. He is not infinitely malleable, but he is endlessly rewarding. He promises victory. He assures you of his righteousness despite our incompetence. He demonstrates that he has measured up even and especially when we have failed. And most of all, that you are no longer a slave to sin, but an heir of righteousness. I guess it's good every now and then, you know, if family goes on vacation and they send you a postcard from wherever they're at. And it's helpful that Jesus gives us a few postcards to consider. Dear Christian, that he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword that, yes, cuts between the closest of family relationships, but even more closely than that, cuts between the desires of the heart and says, don't you see, your Jesus has given you himself. That's success. Amen.